Well, hey everyone, welcome to Eagleburg Church, welcome to those of you joining us online. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. So thankful for my own mom and now for my wife Emily, who I get to watch mother our own son Maddox each and every day. And for all you mom type influencers and figures out there, I hope you all feel loved today. Growing up on Terry Avenue in Longview, Washington, we had this neighbor, Hayden. We rarely saw old man Hayden, but when we did, he was terrifying, always scowling, never waving or saying hi as he would move swiftly from his front door to his old beat-up Jeep Wrangler filled with cigarette butts and crushed Coke cans. Now, my older brother Ryan and I and our friends played a lot of wiffle ball growing up. In fact, we created our own makeshift field of dreams in the backyard we dubbed Alexander Memorial Park. A home run was over the fence and onto the railroad tracks that ran right behind our house, but a foul ball to the left and to the right was into the neighbor's yard. Well, to the left was into old man Hayden's yard. So whenever we hit a foul ball into his yard, being the younger brother, I was tasked with hopping over his fence, sprinting into his yard, retrieving the ball, and hopping back. All before he either snared me in a trap or sniped me from the window. Two things I thought were entirely quite possible. There were plenty of times, however, of course, where, you know, fear would get the best of me and I would refuse to go get the wiffle balls. Neither would my older brother and any of his friends. And they were nine years older than me, okay? So a bunch of scaredy cats. But we never saw those wiffle balls again, ever. He never returned them or threw them back over. The rumor was that Hayden, old man Hayden, would take those wiffle balls and saw them in half with a hacksaw and then dump them in the garbage. I mean, what else would a mean old neighbor be doing to a bunch of kids' wiffle balls? One time, he flung open the door and caught me right as I was about to scramble into his yard. So I, I hopped back over the fence, and eventually we worked up enough courage to, to peek over the fence and see what he was doing. And we saw him standing in the window holding a shotgun. I ended up spending most of that night hiding in my bedroom closet clutching my little twenty-two pellet gun. Of course, it's worth mentioning, I didn't actually know Hayden personally. I, I don't think we actually ever spoke in my entire life. We never found a sodden-half wiffle ball in the garbage can. And to this day, I'm not entirely sure whether he was actually standing in the window holding a shotgun or whether my brother and his friend just made me believe that he was. All of these things were just rumors that drove the way we acted and treated him. I never found out the truth about Hayden. Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Rumor Has It because that's what can happen with rumors. We start to believe that they're true and they begin to affect the way we act and treat other people. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the rumors that sometimes surround the church, specifically this church, pull back the curtain a bit and show you what's actually true. Now, my guess is since you're sitting here, you, you don't believe all the rumors. I mean, maybe you've had to overcome a rumor or two to accept that invitation to come to Eagle Brook Church. I mean, that church with all the EBC stickers on their car must be a cult. Don't go to EBC. They're an inch deep and a mile wide. They don't even preach the Bible. Certain EBC pastors will saw your wiffle balls in half if they land in their yards. I don't know what rumor you've heard, but you're here. So maybe you don't believe all the rumors. Maybe you never heard of them to begin with. 
Maybe you found out what's actually true, or maybe you're still not entirely sure. But today, I want to look at this rumor. The church just wants to get big. And really, this series isn't about defending our reputation by squashing all the rumors. That would be playing defense. We don't operate out of a defensive position. Instead, we want to show you the three things that drive every decision that we make so that we all, you included, can give laser-like focus to our mission, which is to reach people for Christ. So I want to show you this tool, the tool that we use to make decisions about every program, ministry, budget, building, song, or teaching. Does anyone know what this is? This is the tool. This is a hedgehog. A hedgehog doesn't run fast, fly, or swim. In fact, hedgehogs, when attacked, they just curl up into a ball and stick out its quills. But hedgehogs are very focused. They waddle along, they look for food, they know how to do very few things and ignore everything else. As a leadership principal, our church staff first learned about hedgehogs when we read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And Collins writes this. He said, you want to know what separates organizations that make the biggest impact from all the others? They're hedgehogs. They do what's essential and ignore the rest. So the best organizations and churches are those that have identified and lived by their hedgehogs. To do what's essential and ignore the rest. Now part of the series is to make it abundantly clear that we are not a corporation, a business, or a factory. We are a church. Jesus Christ is our CEO, boss, and leader, and God is behind everything that we do. But the hedgehog is this leadership principle that helps us focus on our mission. So what is it? Well, it's three circles. Collins first says that each organization or church must figure out what they want to be the best at and then do that thing. For us, we want to be the best at relevance. Relevance, it's an elusive word. It it means different things to different people in the world today. But at the end of the day, we want to make sense to and relate well to the culture and the world around us. We want to try to be the best at being relevant. Secondly, Colin says each organization or church must figure out what drives their economic engine. Kind of a corporate word, and typically it means money or buildings. But money or buildings don't necessarily excite us. You know what does excite us, though? Ownership. And people become owners when they get behind why it is we do what we do. No longer just consume and receive and instead contribute sacrificially to it. See, owners fuel this engine. They fuel the church. Again, every decision we make starts to funnel through this hedgehog. What's going to help us be relevant and make sense to the world around us? What's going to help create owners? We want to make decisions that leads us to helping create owners. And finally, Colin says that each organization and church must figure out what they're most passionate about. Now, I've seen churches who are passionate about lots of things. You know, dramas, theology classes, cat rescue missions. No church does that. But churches can do lots of good things. But in order to be a hedgehog, you've got to identify that one thing that you're most passionate about. And for us, it's transformation. Lives that are becoming more like Jesus in how we think and act. Someone once said, if you try to chase two rabbits, you won't catch either one of them. So we chase transformation. And that's what we're going to focus on today. 
to chase transformation now, to become more like Jesus in how we act, think, and behave, we have to recognize who alone is capable of changing someone. As Jesus said himself in Mark, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous and good and have it all figured out, but those who know that they are sinners and in need of a change and in need of being transformed. That's why I love this church. <laughs> it's filled with a bunch of sick people with me at the top of the list who are in need and recognize their need for a doctor, for Jesus. And these sick people are becoming healthy. They're changing, transforming, and they want to see others get healthy too. That's why this rumor, the rumor that the church wants to get big, is partially true. But only because bigger means more people coming in contact with Jesus. A few years ago, our church created a couple of distinctive statements about who we are to remind each other as staff and volunteers about what really drives us. But in effort to pull back the curtain a little bit, I wanted to show you a few of these distinctive statements. See, we are compelled more than anything else to reach people for Christ. I mean, that is at the top of our list. That's what makes our heart beat. We are compelled to reach people for Christ. That's our mission. Secondly, we are unapologetic about growth. We plan for it, anticipate it, and go after it. See, we just believe in this biblical principle that, that we have to prepare the soil, that we've got to prepare for when God is ready to bring us that growth. We have to be ready for it, and we're unapologetic about that. Last, we take on big challenges that require big faith because it produces big results. So as you can see, there's some truth to this rumor. But here's where the rumor is not true. And it's so important that you understand this. This church doesn't want to just get big. See, this church wants to get big so that people experience what we are most passionate about, transformation. Lives that are becoming more like Jesus in how we think, act, and behave. It's the 45-year-old man who's battled anger and addiction his entire life, met Jesus, and is now on a path to emotional and spiritual health. It's the 24-year-old college student who spent her college years chasing the American dream, feeling disillusioned by it all, and now has understood the real satisfaction that comes from God alone. It's the 70-year-old man who hasn't stepped foot into a church in over 55 years, now has developed a personal relationship with Jesus and wants to lead others to that same relationship with Christ. It's the 32-year-old couple who wants to restore their young, fragile marriage now with Christ at the center. So it's true, we, we plan to get bigger, but never at the expense of the one. The one who needs Jesus. The one who is stuck. The one who is on the fence about God. The one who calls our church receptionist and says, am I even going to be allowed to step foot in your church? You don't understand how messed up I am. The one who simply needs to be known and loved. See, ultimately, we want that one person to be transformed by Christ. So in the brief time we have left, we're going to look at what it means to be passionate about transformation. As a church, we care deeply about you. So I want to give you two truths about your transformation as a follower of Christ 
and why it matters to this church. And the first is this. Transformation is a work in progress. I mean, really, transformation is never ending. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are all works in progress. With a toddler, I get a front row seat to a literal physical and emotional transformation on a daily basis. I mean, every day as a parent, I'm faced with a totally unexpected, unplanned, unprepared, and usually outrageous question, event, or circumstance involving my kid. Just recently, Maddox, my three-and-a-half-year-old son, said to my wife, Emily, who's pregnant, how does the baby get inside your belly? And Emily, being the quick-witted woman she is, she said, ask your dad. He's a pastor. He gets questions like that all the time. Now, without realizing that I was going to have to answer this question this early in life, I, I froze like a deer in the headlights. I just wasn't prepared for this. You know, the inner monologue started. What do I say? He's three and a half. Do I bring up the S-E-X word? Do I tell him that mom ate the baby and she's just kind of working it out? He would understand that. Quickly, I calmed down. Remember that he's three and a half. We have time for this conversation. I said, you know, Maddox, the, the baby's in there because mom and dad love each other so much. Not bad on the fly. I'm not saying that's what you should say, but that was not bad in the moment. Okay, I'm proud of myself there. The next thing that Maddox said, probably unrelated in his little mind, but the next thing that he said, he busted into the memory verse that he'd been learning in preschool, and he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'm like, that's right, Maddox. You don't need to understand baby making yet. Trust in God in this one. Oh, but Maddox is constantly, constantly learning, growing, and transforming. I mean, he's a toddler. But so am I. When it comes to spiritual transformation, the process never ends. In fact, just because we get older doesn't mean we should stop growing. As a Christian, our lifelong goal should be to constantly learn and grow and do things that become more and more like Christ. To be more and more transformed. Paul writes this in Galatians. He said, my old self, now that he's become a follower of Christ, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What a powerful truth for everyone who's made a decision to follow Jesus. And later in Galatians, as Paul is working this out and trying to make sense of it all, he begins to realize that the Holy Spirit is the one who is transforming him and living inside. And he writes, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And self-control. Ask yourself, how are you doing in these areas? I mean, maybe you need to pick a couple of these and focus on a few areas, a few of these fruits of the Spirit where you need to grow in your transformation. For me, I look at this and think, man, I've got a long ways to go when it comes to patience. I've got a long ways to go when it comes to joy. Maybe there's a few of these that you can identify, and those are your areas that you need to focus on in transformation. I want to show you a typical journey of faith because I think this will be helpful for some people to understand their own journey. You know, every Christ follower, before they made that decision to become a Christ follower, lived here, this side of the cross. But eventually, a person, a Christ follower, recognizes their need for a Savior, confesses their sin, and makes that decision to follow Jesus. 
Paul says at this moment, the old life has gone and a new life has begun. The Holy Spirit initiates this brand new transformation inside of us. Many of you can remember this moment because people here are usually so fired up, aren't they? They're so grateful and hope-filled. And over time, they, they begin to do the things they feel like God is asking them to do, you know? They start attending church and rarely miss. They begin to pray and read their Bibles. They spend time with God. Some will serve both inside and outside the church. Others will join a small group to find some community. Some will give. Others will tithe. Some will get baptized. And for the most part, people start to move along in this spiritual transformation and become engaged followers of Jesus. They become big three 5G, EVC sticker, Hillsong United, Jesus Calling, Scripture Tweeting, Giving, Loving, Serving Christians. And way more importantly than any of those things, people start to move along the transformation process and become more and more like Jesus in their thoughts and behavior. Hey, just quick time out. Are you taking steps in your transformation? Because it's important to understand that transformation takes work. It takes effort. While we believe the Holy Spirit is ultimately responsible for transforming our minds and our hearts, we all need to own our own transformation to take intentional steps towards Christ. But see, in the typical faith journey, there comes this point in almost every person's journey where they hit a barrier and, and begin to realize it's not enough to do things for your own transformation. It, it's not enough to do things just for yourself. I mean, maybe it's a year after accepting Christ. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's multiple times in your life where you hit this barrier and start to realize it's just not enough to do things for your own transformation. Occasionally we hear from people who say, I'm just not getting fed. I wish there was more for me. And while as leaders and teachers, we certainly need to make sure we're giving people what they need. But for the most part, the people who've hit this barrier, the people who are frustrated here don't need more from us. They don't need more knowledge. What they need to do is turn their attention to what others need. Which brings me to the second and final point that God uses transformed people to transform others. When we begin to realize this, we break through this barrier. And the spiritual transformation process moves along. Point one, transformation is a work in progress. We're always working through this journey. But God uses transformed people to transform others. You know, a true sign of spiritual maturity is when we start to realize it's not just about me. It's about how God wants to use me to transform others. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, again, writes how it's Christ's love. That compels him to do what he does. He's been so moved and transformed by the, own, his own, the love that he's received from Christ. That he's just compelled to do what he does. And later he writes the Corinthians, you know, if it seems like we're crazy, we actually might be. But it's all because we want to see people transformed. And he writes this. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I love this. What an important truth for everyone who's made a decision to follow Jesus. We are all Christ's ambassadors. God wants to use us to plead with others. Come on. Come back. God's not done with you yet. Now this doesn't mean that 
that we can stand outside of a stadium on a soapbox and yell at people to turn to Jesus. Why doesn't that work? Because the old adage is true. People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. My friend Shay grew up in the South, and as a teenager, a church-going Christian teenager living in the Bible Belt, he and his friends would drive around and look for people standing outside bars or clubs. Then they would pull up in their van that they were driving in next to these unsuspecting people and execute an evangelism strategy they called the snake. Essentially, they would park their van, they would pile out of their van, holding hands in a single file line, make a bunch of noise, snake through the crowd, circle a group of people, and then yell, Jesus loves you! And then they would sprint back into their van all before they either got beat up or arrested. Now looking back on this, Shay obviously realizes this is a ridiculous strategy and that people from the South obviously, you know, Anyways, let's just say no one came to Jesus because of the snake. For God to use us to transform others, we can't yell at them. We've got to be willing to love these people enough to carry some of their burdens. And there's no better example of this than in Mark chapter 2. To set the scene a little bit, Jesus has returned to Capernaum. And news has begun to spread that he was home. And so people were starting to flock to where he was at. And Mark writes this. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now try to imagine this scene for a moment. These four men desperately want to get their friend in front of Jesus. But the place is packed. So instead of whining yelling, stomping their feet a little bit, posting a Facebook status, ranting about how the place was too full and they couldn't get them in. Instead of any of that, they climbed up onto the roof, which back then would have been made with a mixture of mud, some fat, and some manure. Then they dug through the roof a hole big enough to lower this man in front of Jesus. They did all the work to get him there, and now it was up to him. And this is the rest of the story. Seeing their faith, the four men who had carried this paralyzed man, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus offered what only he could, his inner transformation. He knew that ultimately transformation began on the inside. But of course, being Jesus, he didn't stop there. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. See, this is what we want for our church. That people would be amazed at what God is doing here. All because others are willing to carry people to Jesus. Let me just ask you for a second. How passionate are you about getting others in contact with Jesus? Would you be willing, like these four men, to dig through the dirt of life, to sacrifice aspects of your own life, to carry someone to him? I mean, that's a tough question. I've had to ask myself that question. But think for a second. If you feel pretty apathetic about the whole thing, why is that? 
could be a sign that your spiritual transformation is still primarily about you. Could be that you're in a season. Which, by the way, it's completely normal to go through seasons of feeling more passionate than others. But if you've been feeling apathetic for a while, ask God to help you care about people's lives both now and for eternity. Maybe you're brand new to this whole faith thing and you're still just trying to figure things out. You have our permission to take your time. Keep warming the seat. Keep asking great questions. I just urge you not to wait too long. Recently, I read a story about a little girl, a four-year-old girl named Grace, who asked her mom how to get to heaven and start a relationship with Jesus. After they talked a little bit, her mom explained things, and Grace prayed for Jesus to be her leader and savior of her life. And she concluded her prayer with this, Jesus, I'm sorry I didn't do this sooner. I didn't know that I was supposed to. And it's cute for a four-year-old girl who's built up a lifetime of sin in four years. She thought she was too late. But some of you are 40 and 50. Don't wait. Invite God to transform you. If you've been following Jesus for a while and just feel a little stuck, maybe it's time to take a step to catalyze your faith. The step is not the goal. The step is there to spur you on to, to greater transformation. Maybe it's a step of serving, praying, reading, giving, whatever it is. Just do something. Or maybe it's time to see that your life is not just about your transformation. It's a mission to see others transformed by Christ. And when you start to realize that, maybe that means you have to step into higher levels of leadership, serving or giving more than you already do. Whatever it is, if we're going to be a church that sees lives transformed by Jesus, we've all got to be willing to do our part. Recently, I, re I read an article in The Atlantic written by a young atheist who had just abandoned God and the church. And he had some scathing things to say. Take a look at this. He said, Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life. And you would want to change the lives of others. And he writes, I haven't seen too much yet. Convicting. But he's right. If we're not changing, not perfect, not saintly, just on the process of trying to become more and more like Christ, if we're not changing, it's probably not worth it. See, I believe the church, through the power of Jesus Christ, can and does change your life. I believe it because this church is filled with a bunch of people who are trying to become more like Christ. Not perfect again. Not saints, definitely ups and downs, but people who are trying to become more like Christ and they're passionate about seeing others transformed by him too. These people aren't just fans. They aren't sitting on the sidelines and hoping other people take care of it. These people are all in and willing to carry whoever, whenever, and however to Jesus. People like Nancy Krocek. You know, see, she's been serving in kids' ministries for over 10 years and just can't stand the thought of kids not knowing the basic fundamentals to a life of following Jesus. People like Jeff and Karen Mullen, who realize that what happens inside these four walls on a weekend is not only what the church is about. They've been serving in Harbor Light Homeless Shelter in, for over a year, feeding the homeless and carrying the love of Jesus to the poor in downtown Minneapolis. People like Caleb Kari, a young man who has already dedicated his life to serving the church, all because he wants to see other young people experience Jesus like he has. He served as an intern at a church 
at our church and a small group leader at Ground Zero. People like Dean Erickson, who's been so transformed by Christ that he just can't even contain himself when he talks about Jesus with others. He connects with new people in the lobby. Seeing someone standing alone by themselves is irresistible to him for him to walk over and make them feel included. People like Carly Passell, who went through a complete transformation herself when she committed to a new relationship with Christ seven years ago. She came from a world of anger, depression, and addiction, and now wants to see this next generation not make the same mistakes as she has. People like Tim Cummings, who so badly want to see young men realize the potential that God has given each one of them. He's been a small group leader for a group of boys from the time these boys were in sixth grade, and now they're in 11th grade. People like Dwayne and Sherlon Arvold, who began driving their kids and a few of their friends every Wednesday night from Osceola to Lionel Lake so they could attend our student ministry. But then that group of kids outgrew their own cars, so they bought a small bus. We actually told part of their story around that time. But since that time, that, uh, that group outgrew the small bus, so they bought a second school bus. Then they outgrew those two buses and bought a third bus. And now in a few short years, Dwayne and Sherlon are driving anywhere from 70 to 120 students every single week from Osceola to Lionel Lakes in three buses, all because they want to see these students transformed by Christ. They've spent tens of thousands of dollars of their own money to drive, insure, repair, and fill these things up with gas. Now Dwayne, a chiropractor, has recently been diagnosed with very early stages of Parkinson's. His livelihood, the way they pay for these things, is, is being threatened. And yet, I just talked to them, they still dream of buying a couple more so they can drive hundreds of more students all to carry them to Jesus. As Dwayne told me with tears in his eyes last night, it's all worth it. Let me ask you a question, a challenging question that I was asked myself along with the rest of our staff, a question to reflect on. Ask yourself this, if everyone in our church pursued transformation the way I do, what would our church look like? Now remember, transformation is a work in progress. We can be anywhere on that journey. There's lots of downs and lots of ups, but if everyone in our church pursued transformation the way I do, what would our church look like? I know what our church looks like because of people like Dean and Nancy, Dwayne and Sherlon. What about you? What about me? I mean, when I've been reflecting on this question, I've had to do some serious thinking about my own life. I've had to make some changes and I up the ante as a result. So ask yourself, what would it look like? I mean, could you imagine what this church could be in the world? If we all pursued transformation together, plodding along, not flashy, just focused with a laser-like intensity and Christ-like love and passion to see others transformed. This church isn't, doesn't want to just get big. It's about transformation. Seeing sick people get healthy and becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts and behaviors. 
So as you think about that question, just take a small step of transformation. Can you imagine the impact of 20,000 small steps plodding along together? See, you've got a vital role to play in this. I mean, sure, you're a work in progress like me, but let's all work together to carry people to Jesus. That's what this church is all about. Let's all stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for um, getting to be a part of what you're doing at the church, God. This is your church. We're just grateful that we get to be a part of it. Thank you for the thousands of stories just even inside these church walls in the Twin Cities, the lives that you've transformed and changed. God, we're so thankful for the transformation in all of our lives, mine included, for the ways that you continue to grow me and stretch me and use me to transform others. I pray that you give us all the courage to take a step of transformation, to continue to become more and more like you. And God, I pray that you would use us as transforming people to see others transformed. And we pray, God, that you remind all of us that it's ultimately about the one, the one person who needs you, the one person who's on the fence, one person who's just not sure about this thing, God. It's all about seeing that one person that you love so dearly. We pray, God, that you continue to use this church for transformation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. If you'd like prayer, we'll have a prayer team down in front. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for another rumor has it uh, message called The Church Just Wants My Money.